Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. My name is Marty Plum, and I am your host of a pen and a napkin podcast, a weekly coaching clinic you can carry around with you in your pocket. Welcome back to the coaching staff, episode number 62. And I am back with the man, the myth, my confidant, my better half other than my wife. Um, just a supreme being, if you will. He, he is he is the melted cheese on my nacho chips. He is Mr. Tony Viss. Mr. Viss, how are you today? Mostly, mostly myth. Um, <laughs> doing a little bit better than yesterday. We got in the 40s today. Yesterday it was 30s, and I don't know what the wind chill was. It was cold. So uh, it's getting you in that, that basketball feeling as we're less than two weeks away yep. from uh, tipping things off. Yep. How about you? Uh, we're, we're doing um, – dead sprint back home we did some conditioning stuff we did some culture stuff and then went and uh a couple of my assistants got our our youth clinic going uh we're doing four one-hour youth clinics this week uh and we had about 30 ish girls grades three through six in the gym today uh which was really good to work with them and then drove home and went to the bathroom and then called you buddy so here we are so I wish you had some things going on. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, no irons in the fire in any way, shape, or form. So, uh, Episode number 62, I've got two uniform numbers for you, Mr. Viss. I've got an offensive lineman that is active, and I want to double-check this here. I believe I've got a pitcher, a closer, um, who wore this uniform and uniform number. And was pretty legendary in his home, uh, in his home, where you know where he's most known for. I guess we will say that. Oh nope, I was wrong. I forget it. That's dumb. That's that's just dumb. I thought it was John. I thought it was Jonathan Papelbon, but he's number fifty-eight, not number sixty-two. So I'm an okay. idiot. So one offensive no. lineman active right now. Active offensive lineman that wears sixty-two. Yes. Who? Um. Trying to think of who is out there that stands out. Let's go with uh, Travis Frederick. No. Okay. AFC East. AFC East. So we're talking some Dolphins. We're talking. Oh, I'm sorry. NFC. Sorry. NFC East. My bad. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Cowboys. Oh, let's go. Let's go Eagles. Let's go with the less famous of the Kelsey brothers, Jason. That is correct. Uh, Jason Kelsey, who, uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, hosts a podcast with his brother, Travis, who apparently dates some an entertainer, um, which we went over last week again, caught off guard completely by that. But yes, Jason Kelsey is the one that I had, sir. You know, and I hear that Travis is helping build this entertainer's popularity, so I want yeah, to give yeah. him credit for that. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a real good thing. Um, that you know if if they are indeed together uh that they can you know he could financially help her out you know yes yeah so that's he that's, just bought a new house in kansas city he oh did he really yeah oh well good for him good for him um yeah so jason kelsey episode yeah so so number 62 that's the only one we have um we are recording right now according to my computer it is six thirteen on wednesday night and we're going to start our podcast a little bit differently this week. Uh, it, literally 20 to 30 minutes ago, uh, the news came out uh, that Bobby Knight, uh, the legendary college basketball coach, most notably at Indiana, but also at Army, at Texas Tech, and uh, the college head coach of Mike Krzyzewski, uh, has passed away at the age of 83. Um I, I believe that he was in declining health for a while. Uh, my guess is based on what we saw a couple of years ago when he returned back to Indiana. I'm sure you've seen that, Tony, where he came back um, to Assembly Hall. Uh, probably some sort of, again, I'm just spitballing. I'm not aggregating or, or reporting anything like, like I know anything. Uh, but just some sort of probably some like a dementia or Alzheimer's or something along those lines it looked like that Coach Knight was struggling with. And he's been out of the public uh, spotlight for quite a while now um you know tony this this is uh this kind of hits us a little bit at, at our age um mm-hmm. and especially grew, both of us growing up in iowa 
uh, being basketball fans in the 80s, in the heyday of Bobby Knight's uh, fame. And, you know, we saw kind of the rise and the fall of, of the legend. And uh, if you're interested, shameless plug, uh, last, it was two summers ago, uh, Carl Pearson and I did the 30 for 30 on the last days of night uh, the, and uh, kind of discussed his legacy and, and everything there. And, and uh, you know, I don't remember exactly what on I said on that pod, but Tony, just kind of your uh, first reactions, uh, really fresh here. Like I said, probably about a half hour ago, this this became public uh, of the passing of of a guy that was is an absolute pillar and legend in the game. Yeah, I mean, if you take a look at Bob Knight from an X and O standpoint, fundamental standpoint, uh, he's on the Mount Rushmore of, of basketball coaches. And I, I, I truly believe that. Um, you know, he was brilliant. Uh, an unbelievable tactician, sorry, um, and just a a really good basketball coach. Now, when you get into the treatment of players and and the handling of officials and stuff like that, a bunch of red flags pop up. Um, But if you're talking purely basketball, uh, there's there's really not, and he's in the the top 1% of basketball minds to ever walk across this planet. Yeah. I agree with you a thousand percent, Tony. Uh, as as a you, you study Bobby Knight to pick up the genius that he was, but I think he was a bit of a tortured genius, in the sense of, you know, his just his behavior and the way that he conducted himself and the way that, you know, he would preach respect and uh, be disciplined. But yet he was very undisciplined in a lot of the things that he did. Uh, I think he was a man who had some some real personal issues when it came to anger management, and um, you know preached humility, but then did not act in a humble manner in a lot of in a lot of ways. Uh, but won three national championships in a span of about 11 or 12 years, um, spawned countless um, imitators, often imitated. But, um, you know, I think one of the greatest lessons of, of Bobby Knight's career is when you are at your highest high, yes, you can get away with a lot of things, uh, but that stuff will catch up with you if you don't treat people the right way and, you know, people in Indiana were willing to put up with his stuff until he was not uber successful. And then the vultures kind of swooped in and, and forced him out. And so um, I think there's so many things to learn from the life and the, and the career of Bobby Knight, uh, both in a positive way and in a negative way. Because like you said, Tony, he can't deny the basketball genius that he was. Uh, and... But at the same time, you 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 have to. It's it's a very mixed review because of all the things that you know about him personally. And for me, I just I have a hard time. You know, I have a hard time saying that's okay if you're winning. Do whatever you want to. Uh, that's just me. Oh, I, I'm in that same boat. I, I don't think you can look the other way uh, with some of those things, whether it was throwing the chair, whether it was the incident in Puerto Rico. Um, you know, you have the infamous uh, film of him grabbing, I believe it was uh, Neil Reed by his yep. throat yep. Um, and, and different things that go along with that. You, you, you can't look the other way. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of the, the legacies of Bob Knight is that Mike Shushesky learned a lot of basketball from Bob Knight, but I think he learned what not to do in terms of treatment of players and and a few other things from Bob Knight as well. And that led Shusheski to uh, blow away his mentor's accomplishments both on and off the court. And I'm not saying by any means that Mike Shusheski is a perfect human being at all. uh, But like I said, I think he learned from some of the shortfalls of his, of his mentor. And, And the thing that was kind of interesting there is their relationship became strained. And I think a big part of why their relationship became strained was due to the fact that as Shusheski was passing him up for the wins total, that's when that became a little bit strained, which I thought was kind of interesting. You know, Steve Alford, when he went to Iowa to coach there, um, their relationship became strained once they became, uh, you know, uh, 
adversaries and, and, and rivals against each other. And yeah. I don't know. It's one of those things where, you know, I, I get when you play an opponent, you want to beat them. But but they're not your mortal enemies, and and you know, and so I, I don't know, I don't know. Just some things there, you know, like you mentioned, he was a genius, but there was also some madness to it. And I think sometimes that's a fine line that you see that some of the greats kind of walk that tightrope, if you will, between genius and madness. And I think there were times that he stepped over into the wrong side. You know, he he was an interesting profile, where he was much more comfortable around people who were much more older than him, much older than him. I believe he was an only child. I could be wrong with that, Tony. Um, And I think he just had a really, really... I I think when it comes down to it, when he didn't get his way, he had an extremely hard time handling it. and, and And to a degree, to a very, very small degree, I get that. But when you are a leader of men, or you are a leader of anybody in any situation, whether it's a basketball team or business or whatever, I think the most important thing that you can do is not how you handle success, but it's how you handle failure and frustration and bad times. And there were a lot of failings when it came to Coach Knight and the way that he handled those situations and uh i i think that again the lack of humility uh where he just kind of thought he could do whatever he wanted to do and he got to that point where the the myth became bigger than the man and ultimately uh he kind of you know kind of the tale of icarus where he 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 just flew too close to the sun one too many times and and unfortunately we, we spend more time, instead of talking about the three national championships, the great man-to-man defense, uh, the playing selfless for one another, playing for Indiana, um, the uh, the motion offense principles and, and the way he taught the game, that's that's the way the conversation starts and, and usually ends is, is this tormented genius figure that I think we're going to spend a lot of time trying to figure him out, Tony. Um yeah, and it'll be interesting to see over the next few days how people uh, remember him. You know, I'll be interested if if a lot of people are are saying the same things that we are right now um, as as the as the fallout comes from his passing. And it's one of those things when when people pass away, you know, you want to say the good things about them. I mean, I think that's human nature. Is you know, you're you're sad for the loss. You want to highlight the good things about them. Um, but at the same time, there's also the reality of it, you know, and I by no means am perfect. But when you go and you take a look at what motivates people, you know, the, the sticker, the carrot, love or fear, he oftentimes chose fear on the stick. And, you know, unfortunately, that's not the best method. And it, it not only because of the way that you treat human beings, but it doesn't last. I mean, eventually people get tired of you being a bully. And, you know, did he have success in Indiana? Most definitely. Yeah. But like you mentioned, um, towards the end, uh, he wasn't getting the talent that he had been getting. Um, his record wasn't as strong. And when he did and get so the talent, they Indiana, left, too. You know, yeah. You know, yeah well, people were no, you're good. People were tired of looking the other way. And he became one of those, I, I can win with anybody. No, no. I mean, it's one of those things that, you know, you and I both know this. The, the better you co- coach you are is the better talent you have. Because he goes from Indiana, heads to Texas Tech, and it's kind of, you know, a not-so-good Indiana Texas Tech for him yeah. as he's 500 or below consistently. Uh-huh. Yeah, but he... Then, oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, but then you take a look at, you know, I'm trying to trying to think of the guy's name that was at Tech that went to Tech. Chris Beard, there we go. Um you know, he, he wanted Texas Tech. He was on, he was, you know, Bob Knight was his mentor and he wanted Texas Tech. And so he showed that it could be done there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the real red flag and, and they went through it in that 30 for 30 was, you know, when Jason Collier and Luke Recker and, and it, you know, Luke Recker goes to Iowa, of course, to, to Steve Alford of, of all people. Um, so kind of a full circle moment there, but, uh, you know, I think there was another player that transferred. I think he lost like three McDonald's All-Americans in two years or something like that. And again, you admire it. One of the things that you point to right away is um, 
he he never had an NCAA investigation into his program. Highly successful program that was never investigated, never cheated to, to anybody's knowledge. Uh, high graduation rate. Uh, a lot of stuff that he did behind the scenes that he, I, I think in, in some ways, didn't want people to know about because then that would, uh, that would break the, the caricature that he had built of himself uh, was his, his uh, charity work. Uh, who was the Indiana player that got into the car accident that was paralyzed? Uh, Lan- uh, 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 Landon Turner, or I, I, I know I'm getting yeah, the name right. It's something along those lines. I know who you're yeah. talking about. Yeah, but a, he raised thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars, for his former player who was paralyzed from the from the neck down, from the head down, because of I believe it was an auto accident. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so all of those things, all of those things, but uh, you know, the the bullying, the bullying of the media uh, at times, and just the intimidation factor, and, and those type of things. Um, you know, it's, it's just so hard to balance, and I think that's the way we're going to ultimately remember Coach Knight. Um, and, and it's a shame because like you said Tony he it, when it comes to the knowledge of the game and the way that he taught the game he is definitely on the mount rushmore whether it's a college coach or a pro coach uh he he is on that mount rushmore uh but it it gets harder to think of him that way when and and you have to you have to evaluate the entire resume. You just can't pick and choose the three national championships, the gold medal in 84 and all of those different things. You have to take the whole thing into consideration, and and unfortunately for Coach Knight, uh, I you know that's 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 part of the story. That's part of the story, and and the thing is, most of it is self inflicted wounds, and that's the saddest part of it all. Yeah, yep. He at times was his own worst enemy. Yep. So regardless, um, rest in peace, Coach Bobby Knight. Again, a legend in the game. Um, a, a, a a tortured legacy, I, I think, is the best way we can leave it there, Tony. And so um, we we wish uh, Coach Knight and his family and his sons uh, their best in their time of mourning. And uh, we'll pick up with talking about shell drill here in just a minute. Coaches, you know just as well as I do that we're always looking for new and different ways to motivate our players and programs. But sometimes it's hard to find that perfect source that we're looking for. Over the past 25 years, I've collected hundreds of handouts to help motivate my players and programs. And now I'd like to share some of my favorites with you. The A Pen and a Napkin 101 Best Handouts Booklet is now available to you for only $15. In this booklet, you'll find motivational material for all types of situations and individuals to help you communicate your values to your players and program. For ordering information... You can either DM me on Twitter or email me at a pen and a napkin at gmail.com for details. Okay, Tony, let's talk a little bit about shell drill here. Um, you know, one of the things that we thought we'd just just take a, take some time here and just talk about one of the more basic drills that you could possibly have in the game and a, and a, and a drill that is really, really important to, the, to your teaching, whether you're a man coach or a zone coach, you should be doing shell drill. Uh, Tony, just kind of your, your overall thoughts on, on shell drill and, and why it's important. You know, I, I know some coaches aren't big fans of shell drill. Um, I'll be honest with you. Uh, we shell multiple times a week. Uh, there's all kinds of different actions that you can do out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I think shell drill really helps you a lot with is teaching them positionally where to be and how and when to move. Mm-hmm. Um, I think those are so very, very key out of shell drill. Uh, we, like I said, there's there's so many different ways. Uh, when we start here in less than two weeks, the very first thing, you know, that we'll work on defensively once we begin to get try to implement our system is we'll work on four on four shell with positioning, and mm-hmm. then we'll work on that, you know, denying the basket cut and being in help and all those things that go along with it. But yeah, I, I think shell for me, in my opinion, is one of the cornerstones, one of the pillars that we build our defense on. Mm-hmm. And I think Tony, one of the, the the first thing that I wrote down when we when it came to shell drill was, you know, what are your principles? What are the things that you want to do? And I've I'm right now my principles are 
we push baseline sideline, we full front the post, we're still playing gap. Uh, if you're going to go for it, you better get it uh, in the passing lane type of a thing. But we want to limit reversals. We want to keep the ball on one side. Uh, and, and I've we have we have seven half court defensive principles, and our kids know them. Our kids know them. We literally have them listed out. And I think one of the things that you should be doing as a coach, one of the most important things that you can do as a as a coach, is if you don't have your principles of your shell drill written down, you need to do so. And again, it's kind of like what we talked about a few weeks ago, and I forget what we were what we were saying. Uh, but if you're not sure, just start writing. Just start writing it out, and you'll figure it out if you, if and when you start writing it. If you're an assistant coach, like you are, and, and again, I, I don't know how much uh, leeway John gives you, Tony, um, but if if you the first thing you should be doing if you're the sophomore coach if you're the JV coach if you're the freshman coach or you're the eighth grade coach you should be going to the head coach saying hey how do you want me to teach shell drill how do you want me to teach our half court uh defensive principles and if they don't tell you anything then you know kind of do what you want but if they tell you to do it you better be doing it and and I know for me this is really important this is high on my priority list this is what I want our JVs doing this is what I want our junior high programs and if possible when we get into like that you know right around that 6th grade level this is when we kind of want to start introducing those type of things so I, I you know what are your principles and you should have them written down uh what does John ha- are you doing is John telling you what you should be doing in in the half court here Tony how do you guys do it at, at Kennedy you know, John gives me a lot of flexibility uh, in terms of, you know, it's pretty much whatever I want to do. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I really try to make sure that I do is that I want when they leave me, they have a chance to go and play for him. And yeah. so if we were to sit in a 2-3 zone, if we were to, you know, uh, do things because they, they're a heavy switch team, if we were to say, hey, a screen's no excuse, we're going to fight through everything, hard hedge it, whatever, I feel like I would be doing my guys a disservice. And so uh, when we when we shell stuff out, and again, uh, there's there's different drills. You know, we'll start one on one, two on two, uh, three on three, four on four. We'll do some, uh, you know, disadvantage. That's a big thing that he likes to do because you are scrambling around a lot on defense. We'll play some, you know, five offense with guarded by four defense. Uh, we're making sure we're seeing ball and man. We make sure that we jump to the pass. We make sure that we're talking. Uh, we go through how he defends. Uh, screen aways, making sure the feet are matched and all that good stuff. And again, this is these are things you can do out of shell all the time. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I just feel that it's really, really important, uh, you know, to make sure that you do shell. And like you said, to make sure that those principles are emphasized on an everyday basis. So when they go from me to him, uh, that they know what's going on. And because of that, they've given them the best chance to play going forward. Mm-hmm. How long? In a in a typical practice, Tony, uh, how long are you doing shell drill in your practice? Uh, we'll probably do shell uh, anywhere from eight to twelve minutes, depending upon what what time of the season we're in. Uh, one of the things that I try to make sure that I, I don't do is stick with something too long, mm-hmm. um, you know, with their attention spans and things like that. Uh, but early on in the season, we're probably going 12 minutes. Once we get towards Christmas, we'll probably drop down to 10 and then middle to end of January, probably drop her down to about eight. Yep. We're about the same. Um, 12, you know, 12 to 15 ish, 15 would be really, really high, but, but 12 is right in that sweet spot. And then obviously we, and, and again, we're, we're, we're a pressing program. We want to get up and pressure. So we're obviously working on full court pressure and half court pressure. Um, and, and we're working on that transition stuff as well. But just flat half court, either four on four or five on five, we're probably 10 to 12 minutes every day in practice uh, that, that we're working on it. Uh, we do it different ways. Uh, where do you... Tony, where do you usually slot your shell drill at in your practice plan, typically? It's somewhere towards the middle, maybe a little over halfway through, uh, because, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, uh, doing it, doing it uh, part before we go to hole. And so we might be doing some zigzags. We might be doing some two-on-two stuff and then eventually building to, like you said, four-on-four, five-on-five shell. Mm-hmm. We like to, very similar, uh, 
towards the middle. We like to, and, and I think we're really on the way, uh, same wavelength here, so God help us. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we usually have about a 10-minute breakdown uh, defensive segment, whether that's closeouts or rebounding that day, kind of whatever we feel like we need to work on in, in a small group situation or a, a breakdown situation. And then we bring it into, uh, we bring it into the shell drill. And, and so that's always, so we kind of have that same progression, um, in, in the same manner there. So, um, and, and yeah, probably an hour or so into it, we, we spend a lot of our early time working on offensive system and fundamentals and finishing and those type of things. And then we usually will ro- go right from, from shell into transition and into what we call our chaos section. Uh, where we want to just get up and down, fly around, but obviously during those during those segments, we want to work on the shell drill part of it as well. So, um, what uh, what are some of the things, Tony, that you do in your shell drill? Uh, what are some of the options that you have in your shell drill repertoire, if you will, to not make it monotonous? Because I, I think one of the things, and again, kind of going back to the coach night era, if you will. Well, we're going to do shell drill, and it's just five on five, and you went, and you went, and you went, and you went, and you're like, when will this ever end? Um, and one of the things that I've been really conscientious of as a, as a head coach, uh, especially, is to have a lot of different ways that we can do shell drill. Um, so what are some of your, I've got a list of about 23 different shell drill options that we can throw out there um, that we have used from time to time. And uh, so just kind of seeing what some are some of the things that you like to do. What's maybe your top four to six shell drill options that, that you like to run? Yeah, one of the things, you know, I mentioned earlier is we start off with positioning. You know, we, we talk a lot about on the line, up the line. Uh, we talk about making, you know, making sure that everybody understands that, you know, I'll ask who's guarding the ball and they'll always give me whoever's closest to it. And it's like, no, we're all guarding the ball. And so we work on positioning so that they know, you know, where they're supposed to be. Uh, they're moving on the fly to the ball, talking, you know, that, that type of thing. And then once we kind of get that positioning thing down, then we progress a little bit further where we work on basket cuts. So now that the player on the wing throws it to the corner, they're going to take a step or two like they're screening away. They're going to make a basket cut. So now we've got to work on jumping the ball, make sure that you don't get face cut. Weak side of the floor has to slide over and help in case they try to pass the ball over their head inside for, for an easy one. So we're working on basket cut, and then you know the offense will rotate to different spots. And again, you have to defensively adjust depending upon how far away you are from the ball. Um, a third one that we get into is we like to get into what we call a scramble situation. So uh, I'll hit the whistle to start it, and then after passing around for a little bit, I'll hit the whistle again, and then it's live. And what we're supposed to do is they're supposed to really make sure they're attacking gaps and trying to get to the rim, and that gets us in rotation or scramble, whatever you want to call that. And then another one, uh, that, and I'll, I'll end with this one, another one that we do as well is we work on screen series. So it'll be pass screen away. Or if the player on the ball side passes it to the corner, the weak side players are going to set a down screen for each other. And mm-hmm. so there's little nuances out of that in terms of the switch, meshing the feet. And there's also little nuances on the weak side of making sure you give your teammate room to get through on that one. Mm-hmm. And so just things that we practice and we, we hammer home to make sure some of those finer points are in there. And then another one that we also throw in as well, uh, we, like I mentioned earlier, we also go into a disadvantage situation so it'll be four defense against five offense and you've got to scramble around as the ball moves and the way that you get out of that one is you got to get a deflection if Mm -hmm. you get a deflection then we then we rotate gotcha gotcha um we do ours kind of a little bit more free-flowing uh usually um obviously one one of the things that we all do is is during you know our scout session you know day before a game or you know sometimes two days before a game uh we'll we'll start that process one of the ones that i really like that we do tony is we call it up one down one and so we'll just go one possession and offense you're down one you have to score defense you're up one you have to get a stop and we'll just we'll be doing this that or the other thing we'll be doing a shooting drill and i'll be like all right hey boom up one down one here's who's on orange here's who's on black five on five you got one possession you got to score 
And, and some days in practices, we'll do our shell drill with up one, down one, and we'll do that seven or eight times. We'll, we'll shooting drill, up one, down one. Uh, ball handling drill, up one, down one. And, and just to really force our kids to really think and really emphasize the importance of executing in one possession, whether it's on the offensive end or the defensive end. Um, another one that we do is we'll kind of play, you know, we'll say, okay, we're going to play to seven. Um, you get one point for a stop. You get two or three points for um, scoring. You know, you hit a two, you get two points. You hit a three, you get three points. First team to seven wins is another thing that we do um kills is another one we do tony uh you're, you can't get out of the shell drill unless you get three stops in a row and, mm-hmm. and and until you get out there um so those are some of the things that that we do um oh i'm taking a look at the list here and if anybody wants my list obviously email me or, or reach out to me direct message um here's a here's one i really like tony i saw jennifer Raggi do this at elkhorn uh, and this would be kind of in our situation where our numbers aren't as big, uh, it would be more difficult. But like if you ever practice with John someday, this would be mm-hmm. something you could do. Um, have, you know, basically 20 kids and you have five, your, your, your 10 varsities split up black team, white team, whatever. And you're keeping your score and you split up your JVs five and five or whatever it may be. And you keep score. And, you know, the five blacks on varsity, their score combined with the five blacks on the JV, that's who the winner. Uh, and then you go against the whites, the five and five on the whites of the varsities and the JVs. And that's a great way to, to kind of bring the program together in that regard to, uh, as well, Tony. So that's that's a that's a uh, Jennifer Raggi from Elkhorn gave me that idea as well. So uh, a lot of different options there. Um uh, anything else that you want to throw in, in in that regard, different options, Tony? Uh, we do the kills one, too, because obviously that's kind of a popular term, the three stops mm-hmm. in a row. And that, that can get pretty intense uh, when you get two stops and then you give up a bucket or, you, you know, and then you've done that a handful of times and yeah. they've been in there for five straight minutes or whatever. And you've got guys, you know, starting to you know, jot each other a little bit. And it's like, Hey, this is the time when you got to come together, not, mm-hmm. not tear each other down, but you got to hold each other accountable too. Um, another one that we we've done, um, is five on five on five. Yep. That's um, on our list as well. Yep. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a good one as well. So we'll do that one from time to time also, because, you know, I, I probably control it a little bit too much. I just want to make sure that they understand, you know, what, how we want to defend it, you know, uh, specifically. And then uh, as the season goes on and we get into a little bit more, like you mentioned, the free flowing style. Yep. Um, how important is shell drill to your offense as well, Tony? You know, shell drill is important from the standpoint, I think a lot of times as coaches, you know, we kind of micromanage and we teach our kids how to run plays and we don't teach our kids how to play. And I think at times with the shell drill, what it does is it keeps you, you know, in terms of you got to have spacing, uh, you got to move without the ball, um, you know, you, you've got to you got to be connected. And so I think shell drill, you know, I wouldn't put it at a huge level of importance offensively. But it does emphasize some of those things. You know, one of the things I'm thinking about here is, is we're talking through this a little bit is, is Snow Valley. And Snow Valley, and I know cutthroat is a little bit different than shell drill, but you can make it an offensive shell drill too. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that just teaching those principles and we, we break that out probably, I don't know, December, January, somewhere in there to kind of break up the monotony of basketball and to try to give them some fun stuff to do. And it's not just a screw around time. There are things that we are trying to get out of it as well. Yeah, I think, uh, and Tony and I, you and I have been fortunate enough to make some deep postseason runs. And usually, not always, but usually the deeper you go into the postseason, the game becomes more and more half-court. It becomes more conservative. And so you've got to really figure out how to score and execute five-on-five. So I really think it's important, and and a big selling point for your team is like, yeah, you know what? Shell drill is, in theory, a defensive drill. But hey, guys or gals, we got to figure out how to score as well, five-on-five. Because if if you're in a state semifinal— it's usually not ninety eight to ninety five. You know, it, it's 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 usually not. It it, it just isn't. Uh, it's usually 
a, a pretty conservative game with limited runouts. Huh? 52-50. 52-50, yeah, exactly. And then so, sometimes that's kind of a scoring explosion, especially yeah. if you don't have a shot clock. Um, so you've got to figure out how to score and how to execute against really, really good half-court defense. And, and again, that's why I'm such a I, – I love – not to pat myself on the back too much, but I love the I love our plus one minus one because it's just one possession. You got to get a stop. You got to hunker down. You know they're going to throw the best thing that they have at you because they have to score. They know they have to score to win the drill, and so I, I really like that as well. And, and so you can really emphasize. Yes, it is a quote unquote defensive drill, but ladies or gentlemen, we have to we got to figure out how to score against this as well, so we can use it both ways. Yeah, because by the time you get that late in the year, there's no secrets anymore. When yeah. you call out whatever offense, they know what it is. Um, you know, and, and sometimes it sometimes I say sometimes a lot of times it comes down to you have to out execute them, whether mm-hmm. it's offensively, defensively, or out of bounds plays or whatever the case may be. Well, you got to do one of two things. You got to have one or two things, like you said, Tony. One is out execute them, and the other thing is you've just got that dude or dudette. That can mm-hmm. it doesn't matter what you throw at them; they can figure out a way to put the ball in the basket. Very few teams have that dude or dudette, so you, most teams have to figure out how to execute. Yep, and just get them the ball and get the heck out of the way. You bet. A pen and a napkin university videos are just another way that a pen and a napkin can help you become a better coach. Our university video library is constantly expanding, with topics ranging from interviewing for a job to full court defense to 25 universal truths about coaching. Our university videos will help you round out your skill set as a coach and help you hone your craft. Videos are $10 a piece, with bundling options available. To order, you can DM me on Twitter, send me an email at apenandanapkin at gmail.com, or order from our website, apenandanapkin.com. Be sure to check out the Apenandanapkin Video Library. You know who else we give the ball to and we get the heck out of their way? Europe. You bet. Give them the ball, give them the mic, give them the amp, give them the bass, and get out of the way of Europe. We are declaring it here on the coaching staff. Mr. Viss, it is your turn for trivia. What have you got for me? All righty. I, I like to take things right out of the, the current uh, events and, and sports world and what's going on. Um Team USA men and women uh, qualified for the Paris Olympics in three-on-three basketball. Okay. All right. I want to know. I want to know um, how many times have the U.S. men qualified for the Olympic three-on-three basketball? Zero. Is correct. Wow. They did not make it in 2021. I think that was the first time that they had had it as an Olympic sport. Yeah. Is that that? Uh, we got Jimmer for debt, don't we? <laughs> Jimmer can ball, man. <laughs> uh, but he, yeah, he's a three on three guy, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. I'm serious. He can ball. Oh, I know. He's, he's amazing. Uh, you know, second shot clock. Yeah. Um, and on the eighth day, the good Lord said, I'm going to create three on three Olympic basketball for Jimmer for debt. <laughs> and there it is. <laughs> there it is. So that's my God imitation, by the way. That was so, good. Yeah. Well, you know, me and the big guy, we're, we're, we're tight, you know, so. <laughs> I'm going to hell. <laughs> uh, all right uh yeah zero uh who else is on the three on three team it's jimmer and who else who i didn't get any members it was just <laughs> okay. it was just listed off <laughs> when we had qualified what we were ranked we're not ranked number one by the way we're ranked number two okay uh croatia's number one okay <laughs> i like europe who's in the band i don't know i didn't like europe I like the lead singer. I like the lead singer. He sings the final countdown. 
He's good. <laughs> oh boy, we've hit a realm of stupidity that we rarely reach, but we have reached before. We got there today. Yeah, we got there today. This uh this is kind of getting back to the to the Iowa State camp days. So uh all right. Speaking of Iowa State, they got a exhibition game tonight and Emily Ryan is not playing. And it's not known when she's going to be back. And with that young team, they needed that steady hand. There. Yes, yes. Um, hopefully, hopefully, Coach Finley and and Coach Dyer and the and the staff can get it all figured out here. So, uh, how about this, Tony? How about that? Little Twib segment here. We're going to wrap up with the Twib here. Um, we got a lot to talk about. Uh, obviously, we talked about uh, Coach Knight. And uh, his passing uh, earlier on, um, but we got a we got man we, NBA is 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 full go here, Tony. Uh, we've got a lot of of headlines to to discuss. Um, where do you want to start, buddy? Let me ask you this: Who would you say right now, November one, is the best team in the NBA? Um, I think that it would be probably the Nuggets. Um, just because, I mean, <laughs> Nikola, Nikola Jokic is the Jimmer for debt. <laughs> a five-on-five. A five-on-five basketball. <laughs> I don't know why I think that's so funny, but I do. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> we we're sorry, folks. Uh, um, no, I think I think they're the best team. Um, and he, he's durable. Um, you know, they're, they're they're just they're just a well-oiled machine right now, Tony. Um, and and I just it's a long season as well. Um, I really like what. Boston has been able to kind of put together a little bit. Um, I really like, um, I've been very impressed so far um, with Golden State. Um, you know, I, I think they're, I think they're going to be really good. Uh, I, I really stand my prediction, stand by my prediction that I think they're going to be towards the, the top of the Pacific division. Um, I, I just, I, I think they're playing with a little bit of a chip on their shoulder and and those those top five guys are are really really good. So I had, uh, you know, my three teams that I really liked here: uh, Denver, Golden State, Boston, uh, Orlando, and Indiana. Starting off two and zero, a couple of young plucky teams here getting going. Now they're 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 two and one and two and two respectively now, but uh, pretty good starts for them. And then. Uh, you know, New Orleans started out, uh, has started out two and one and they've done some decent things as well. So, um, I think there's a little fool's gold in Dallas's three and O start. Um, OKC, I really, really like, I was watching the game that they came back on against Cleveland. Um, but, uh, I'm worried about Cleveland one and two with that really bad loss to, uh, to Oklahoma city. They had that game sewn up and they, they found a way to kind of fitter it away. Uh, Miami one and three, and they really should be zero and four right now because they only beat Detroit by one point. Um, they they're 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 up a creek without a. I, I, I'm a little wor- bit worried about them. Uh, the Chicago Bulls having a team meeting after game one, a little bit of a red flag there, Tony. Um, so so that's kind of some of my reads there. Memphis also really not good right now. Zero and four. Um, I, I think, um, some, some things are not good there. Uh, no jaw, no Brandon Clark, no Steven Adams. Uh, so those are kind of my, my good and my bad teams that I've seen so far in the NBA. So sorry, I kind of went off in that direction there. Uh, anything you want to add into that, buddy? I would go with Denver as number one right now. Mm-hmm. I think by the end of the year, Boston may surpass them. Yep. When you're trying to implement, you know, Porzingis and then Drew Holiday in there, there's going to be some bumps and stuff, but Boston is, is, is extremely talented. Um, a lot of depth there, too. And so I, I like Boston. Uh, I think it's, it looks like it's probably going to be Denver and Boston. But at the same time, 
the Bucks have the one loss, but they they've been more good than bad trying to incorporate, you know, Giannis and Dame, and then try to get Middleton knock some rust off there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I like Milwaukee as well in the East. Um, I agree with you. I think the Mavericks are full, fool's gold. Uh, Luke is playing incredible. Uh, Kyrie's okay. Um, but, you know, the, the Sixers are intriguing to me with the Harden deal uh, because they opened up a lot of salary cap. And then I thought P.J. Tucker, his best days are behind him. Yeah. And I like some of the pieces they got to kind of replace the, the P.J. Tucker thing with Robert Covington. Uh, Nick Batum, I think, is, is a good fit there as well. Yep. Um, and then Tyrese Maxey looks like the real deal. Uh, yeah. the, and I think that was the great thing getting rid of Harden so that Tyrese Maxey could grow because Harden wasn't going to allow that to happen. Um, and then, you know, like you mentioned, I, Golden State's better than what I thought they'd be. Uh, I didn't know how Chris Paul would react going to the bench, uh, but he really helps that second unit. Uh, Moody and Kaminga both look better than what they did a year ago. Yep. So I feel like Golden State has more depth. Um, and they're, they're, they're top five. Those, those guys are connected really, really good. Um, but yeah, that's kind of my ramblings. And then, you know, Memphis, and I think we talked about this earlier, uh, I don't think Memphis is going to make the playoffs. You know, I yeah. think the Steve Adams leadership and rebounding piece is big. Ja being suspended for as many games as he is is big. I think they're going to dig too big of a hole to get out of uh, and to make the playoffs because the West is really deep. And then I don't know if you watched the end of the Suns and the Spurs. I um, saw that today. Missed, I, yeah. They miss a three to tie it when Banyama dunks it to cut it to one. And then I don't know what happened to Kevin Durant. And Frank Vogel can say he got fouled all he wanted. He didn't he get didn't fouled. fouled. No. And they we ended up this the Spurs came back and they're they're a young, fun team to watch and they're gonna be good sooner rather than later. Yeah. Want to know more about a pen and a napkin and all the resources it offers? Go to a pen and a a great resource for any coach at any level. In addition to our A Pen and a Napkin University video library options that are available to order, we have hundreds of pages of notes, from one-page handouts to book breakdowns to original coaching notes. We also have coaching links, a full catalog of every A Pen and a Napkin podcast, and ways to contribute to the growth of A Pen and a Napkin. A Pen and a Napkin.com is a coaching resource that will help you become a better coach. Um, what do you... Uh... What do you think about the uh, the Harden deal? You know, let's let's finally, for the love of all that is good in this world, uh, we're able to put a final nail in this coffin here. Um, is this a good trade? Um, do you like what either team has done? Do you not like? Uh, you you kind of touched on Philly. You like the pieces that they got back. Uh, so, and, and I like what it's done well as well for Philadelphia. Uh, I think a guy that's forgotten about for the Sixers is Tobias Harris, who's mm-hmm. a very if he's your third best guy, and if you're if your first two guys are absolute studs, then Tobias Harris can kind of be your Michael Porter Jr. kind of behind uh, uh, Murray and Jokic, uh, if if you let him cook a little bit, you know, and and so. I think this is addition by subtraction for the Sixers. I like this deal. Like you said, they got some depth back. Depth back. I think P.J. Tucker was not going to age gracefully. Um, so I like this. What do you think about it for the Clippers, Tony? I feel bad for the Clippers uh, just from this <laughs> standpoint. You know, you've got four ball-dominant guys, and that, that's not it's not a good recipe for, for success. Um, you take a look at they were trying to implement an offense back to kind of like the 90s, more of a free-flowing, I would say probably like a, a pop philosophy with, with the Spurs, you know, move it, share it, that that type of thing. And now you've got these four ball-dominant guys. And the last time that, that Harden and Westbrook were together, I think, was in Houston, and that didn't end well. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the health of the Clippers, like if you can keep uh, Kawhi and Paul George healthy – they're still going to be good. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know. I feel bad for Ty Lue. I just, you know, everywhere the Harden's gone, the coach usually gets fired shortly thereafter. <laughs> and I think Ty Lue's a really good coach. And if there's a guy in the NBA who can make it work, I think Ty Lue's one of a handful of guys that can. Um, but they gave up two first round draft picks. I believe they gave up a second round pick, and I want to say they gave up a pick swap yeah. um, as well. And you're getting a guy, and again, he's he, he was. 
20 and 10 last year, 20 plus points, 10 plus assists. So we, he's not a, he's not a terrible player. I just don't know if he's a, if he's a good locker room culture guy. Yeah. And I just, I, I feel bad, but you take a look, the Clippers are, are building a new arena, right? Yeah. Harden's from Los Angeles. Kawhi's from Los Angeles. Russ is from Los Angeles and PG's from Los Angeles. So they're going to sell that sucker out. Yeah. And, and I think that if there's any situation, I think these three or four guys have to look at each other and go, okay, look, we're all in the same boat here. And our, essentially our legacy is on the line. So it's almost, I hate to say this, Tony, it's almost so crazy that it just might work in the sense of if we really want to be remembered the way we want to be remembered, I've got to give myself up here a little bit. And if this doesn't work, we're all going to look really bad. And that might be just the crazy elixir that brings them together that allows them to be successful. Like, it's it's so chaotic, it might become successful. I, I don't know. I, I'm not a Harden fan. I don't like the way he plays. Uh but and I thought it would work better in Philly than it did in Brooklyn or Houston. Um, turned out to be slightly wrong. I mean they they should have they should have beat Boston last year. They should have closed it out, but they didn't. Uh, but like you said, the biggest thing is just the locker room, the toxicity. Uh, it's just not a good fit in that. And, and I don't think James Harden is a good fit really anywhere when it comes to the chemistry of things. And I, I don't know the guy personally. I just know what I see and, and, and what I hear from people who are in the know. And again, just my opinion for what it's worth. Yeah. I, I just don't see it ending well. Um, but like you said, it might be like a mad scientist experiment that they, they hit it out of the park, but yeah. their window to win short. The thing I think Philly got with those guys that I mentioned earlier I think they're all in expiring contracts. Yep. And so Philly, if a team gets desperate enough and wants to make a move at the trade deadline, Philly could pick up another piece this season. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if, if things go go well or whatever, I think they have 50 to $60 million in cap space at the end of the season to go out and make another splash. But I think this is going to make Embiid happy. And I had thought that Joel was going to be out of there and go to the Knicks. I think this gives Philly a chance to, to appease him and to keep him there. And if he keeps playing at an MVP level, you have a young star in, in uh, Maxi. Yep. Uh, like you said, Tobias Harris as your third option. And, and, and then they've got some other you know decent players around them. Anthony Melton's a pretty good player. Uh, Paul Reed is a really good backup center. Yep. You got Pat Bev. Yep. Um, he's going to keep things you know spicy. And then you know Kelly Oubre. Uh, is off to a pretty good start for him too. They got Marcus Morris in the deal, along with Batum and Covington, and uh, and I'm um, shoot, I'm missing the other guy, Kenyon Martin Jr. There we yeah, go. So yeah. they got those four guys. So it adds to their depth. Um, I still don't think they were coming out of the East. They didn't do a. They don't have enough to get past Milwaukee and Boston, but they can be a top top three, top four team, maybe get into the Eastern Conference semis. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. And and you never know. Like Jason Tatum turned his ankle and. That, that hurt Boston in Game 7. So, um, yeah, you, you just never know. So I, I like this move for Philly, just in, in the biggest reason for addition by subtraction, good locker room guys. And I think P.J. Tucker uh, in 15- to 20-minute doses can be a, a really effective guy for the Clippers. But for the Sixers, he was going to have to play 25, 30 minutes. And I don't know if he can just do that anymore. Like you were saying, Tony, uh, I think his best days are behind him. So we'll see. We'll see what happens here. Um, if you're the Clippers, you got to keep your young guys. Like they didn't have to include Terrence Mann or Bones Highland. Yep. So I, I, I give them, you know, a plus in that area. And the Clippers were off to a three and one start. Yeah, they've beat up on some bad teams, but hey, they're three and one when they should be three and one. You know, and yep. and that's that's what you do. You bank those wins because you only get eighty two chances to get them, and you, and you bank them when you can get them. So, um, CP three coming off the bench, Tony. Uh, role acceptance. I'm sure he's not thrilled by this, but he, he couldn't have been surprised by it. Um, I, I think it's a great lesson of of Kerr and open communication, and we need you to buy into this, and if you do this, I think we have a chance to be really good. Uh, first time that he hasn't started in his entire 19-year 19 uh, career, but I think this is something that really has a chance to work for Golden State. 
And the thing, too, I mean, you get them in with the second group, like we mentioned, Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga. I think those those are going to really benefit from playing with them. And then the other thing that I think that Kerr is going to be able to sell Chris Paul on, like you mentioned, was role acceptance. But you don't have to be a starter, Chris. You can be a closer. And yeah. so whether you sit Looney or whoever, um, you can put Chris Paul in the lineup at the end of the game and play stuff off the ball. And, and Chris Paul will find him and get stuff the ball on time in positions to score. Yes. So, you know, between CP, Curry, and Clay, whichever two of those three are really cooking that night, and mo- it's going to be Steph and then either Clay or, or CP, but, you know, you've got options. It's, 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 a, it's a heck of an option for, for Steve Kerr to have. Yeah, to have, you know, that a Hall of Famer coming in, working with your young guys. That second unit also includes Gary Payton the second, yeah. who's a nice role player player. And then I really thought that Golden State uh got a nice a nice find with Dario Saric. Yep. He he was playing really well, then he ran into some injury issues. Yep. But I like him in that offense, you know, as as a stretch five. Yep. Yep. Uh one last thing here. Um uh college basketball news, Cooper Flag. Uh, not really surprising that he commits to Duke. Uh, I've never seen the kid play live. I've seen him play a little bit on TV, seen a lot of highlights of him. Uh, he's good. He's really, really good. <laughs> um, Tony, your thoughts on Cooper Flag and going to Duke? Projected number one pick in the 2025 draft. Uh, yep. There's different elements to his game. He's six foot ten. Uh, he's very twitchy, um, very intense. Some have, have talked and compared him a little bit to Kevin Garnett. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not a surprise he's going to Duke, you know, the brotherhood, so to speak. I was kind of hoping he'd end up at UConn, mm-hmm. uh, with, with, you know, Danny Hurley. Uh, but at the same time, I, it's a business decision. Yeah. You know, you understand it. Uh, their, their class, I think he is the, either the second or third five-star recruit in that class already. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he's going to go play with other really, really good players, build his NBA stock and be gone in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it wasn't a surprise. I, I think he is a really, really good basketball player. Um, and, and the rich get richer. Yeah. The rich definitely get richer. I, I really, uh, from what I've seen of him, I really, really like him. Uh, just like you said, he, he plays with a big old chip on his shoulder. He's athletic. He can shoot the three. He can put it on the floor. Um, he's going to be he's gonna be really, really good, I think, Tony. I think he's going to be really, really good. So, um, All right, episode 62. Let's bring it home, Tony. Uh, shell drill and really good stuff there. Anything to add on anything that we talked about here uh, this evening, my friend? You know, just the the shell, you've got to do what what you think works. I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's a huge staple. I know some coaches don't like shell. Uh, The one thing I would add, I think what Marty talked about, the more of the free-flowing stuff, I think that's probably the better way to go than to control it. I think early on you show them, how you want to bust cuts, how you want to work on, you know, the defensive screens and stuff like that. But I think those who criticize it, it's due to the the controlling nature of it. Mm-hmm. But you can make it more free flowing with the examples that Marty gave earlier. And then Marty, when you were touching on on college basketball, um, I was watching some of the the scrimmages on Sunday. Uh, Tennessee was at Michigan State. Uh, I want to say Kansas was at Illinois. Yep. And I, I didn't catch the one the day before where Purdue went to, to uh, Arkansas. And, you know, you, but there's been a lot of upsets, so to speak. I just think men's college basketball this year is about as up for grabs as it's been in a long, long time. Um, and it's going to be an exciting season. Yeah, it is. Uh, my last thought on shell drill, and it's the, the thing that I led with first, if you don't have your shell drill principles written down, and, and you could change those. Like, I used to be a straight up, uh, we're going to play the ball straight up, and we're going to get really, really heavily into gaps, and, and we're just going to, you know, that's how we're going to keep it out of the lane. Now we've we've changed. We, we've gone, again, you mentioned Chris Beard earlier. Get on that top side shoulder, force it baseline, sideline, uh, keep the ball on the side, uh, try to keep the ball on the side and try to limit reversals. You know, there's there's a lot of different ways that you can do this. Uh, but what I, I think whatever you do, you need to have it written down so that you can see it, so that your players can see it, so that there's consistency in the teaching. And if you're an assistant coach, my one of the first things I would say to you is 
to go to your head coach and say, what do you want in your half-court defensive philosophy? How do you want me to teach this? What do you want me to be emphasizing so that we know that so that everybody's on the same page? Um, to me, that's really, really important. But, um, yeah, that's, that's, that's where I'll leave it here tonight. So, uh, Tony, great job as always, my friend. Uh, anything to add on? That? Are, we, are we good to go? I think we're good, my man. All right. So episode 62, uh, Shell Drill, along with a lot of other different things here. Hope you folks enjoyed it. Uh, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll be back next week and we'll have something to talk about. So coaches, as always, let's be sure to hone our craft one day 